and welcome to the Sensibility Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Baker, a financial advisor, money mindset coach, and all-out money guru when it comes to creating the financial future you are after. This is the podcast where we make talking money normal and manifesting into our lives practical. I share with you money mindset tips and tricks as well as practical financial strategies to help you create the financial life and relationship with money that you deserve. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Hello and welcome back to the Sensibility Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Baker, and we have the wonderful Dawn Thomas joining us yet again for our money conversations. And we've got a really juicy conversation coming up because, well, we had the gender pay gap bill just finally passed today. So it's a moment in history, but both uh, Dawn and I get really fired up with this subject because we're so passionate (laughs) about ensuring that our female clients and our female colleagues and women that we love and adore are going to be financially looked after. So this is a sort of important topic for both of us. So hold on to your hats because I feel like we're going to have some really uh, heaty conversations here. And I've also created a bit of a case study um, just sort of to give people an idea of some of the numbers that and how things can really impact people. I mm. had a conversation with my husband just the other day. His mate didn't believe that there was such a thing as gen- as a gender pay gap. And I'm like, he, he got all fired up actually. Uh, could you imagine? <laughs> that? He was going, yeah, have you met my wife? <laughs> yeah. You better be taking that out with her, buddy. Um, and he basically shut that down. But it's interesting that uh, there are people who have an attitude that it doesn't really exist. So I'm glad this bill has come mm. about. So welcome. Welcome, Dawn. Sorry, I've got a big rant. No, that's all right, because we, we, we got fired up before you started recording. So <laughs> we're ready to go. We're ready to go because this is complex. And the issue of women being underpaid and taking time off and undervalued is an insidious problem. So it's no point sugarcoating anything. It's just let's get to the point so we can get mm-hmm. create change. Absolutely. I mean, we uh, think on International Women's Day, the uh, Financi Review basically pointed out that we'd gone backwards uh, by a small percentage, but Mm. it's still going backwards just the same for 2022, being the gender wealth gap at 22.8%. Basically, that's saying that women Mm. are learning less by 22.8%, and um, that's just not good enough in this as we say, we're in 2023, like, come on. We also know we've got this gender wealth gap. And my case study was really about how this impacts, not just how much we're taking home and the cost of living and raising kids, but also if we take time out for raising our children for a few years and we're also Mm. already earning less than our male colleagues doing the same work, what does that look like for us in retirement? So we'll go, we'll go down that road as well. But Dawn, before we press record, you sort of talked about um, the, was it the retirement, sorry, what was the organisation and their their research on the fact that when women take time out early in their careers to raise families, yes. that that actually increases yes. that, that retirement gap. That's right. So they, they um, so women in super, um, uh, you know, a few years back, they did an article around the impact of um, taking a break of, uh, you know, of work because, as we know, an International Women's Day rolls around. All those f- fantastic stats come out around women and homelessness, and I, I guess people sometimes struggle with why. And it's not really one thing that leads to it. Uh, the article kind of pointed out that 
you know, taking a break early on in the career and just the way that superannuation works, unfortunately compounds it negatively. Um, that gap mm. becomes bigger essentially when you take it earlier on in your career. Absolutely. So um, that probably leads me to just talking about this, the quick case study that I did just before we came on air. I thought, you know what, I'd been reading the AFR article and I went, we were going to talk mm. about superannuation today anyway. And I thought this is just a beautiful topic because like the timing of this <laughs> to talk about super. And I just pulled out a spreadsheet and thought, okay, we've got, you know, remember that, remember that um, industry super fund uh, ad where you've got member one and member two yeah. and they're earning the same amount. <laughs> this is his super and this yeah. is her super. But the reality is yeah. these two have got, you know, female and male. So females earning yeah. at 35 years old and we've, we've taken this back down to 2018 because I've got two examples of how this can impact her. She's earning same. Uh, she's earning one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. She's in um, an industry that's professional. Uh, in the AFR article, it sort of talks about the the highest gender wealth gap for those in this uh, professionals like accounting, financial advice, legal. They're the areas that um, hmm. actually have the biggest gap. So now we say we've got two advisors here. One's earning one hundred and twenty, and the male's earning one hundred and forty four. Now, because we're in 2018 and they both continue to work, she's decided she's not going to have children. The actual difference just because she's earning that 20%, I've just rounded it to a 20% difference, is 12.47%. Now, that doesn't seem much, but in dollar terms, that's $275,000 mm. difference at retirement for working the same job, yeah. doing the same thing. And when you think about that discrepancy there, that's quite, you know, quite a big difference. But say she has three years off to have children. So she has her first baby in 2018 and she goes back to work mm. in 2021. She goes back to work earning 120. He's still on this 144. At retirement, and we're talking 67 years old, that's $506,000 difference actually five thousand five hundred and six thousand six hundred and ninety four to be exact difference that's a 25 percent gap now that's three a few years it's not that's yeah. not five years yeah. there was a study we talked about before we came online where you know on average yes. women take five years and if we took yes. that off if we did five years let's have a look at the difference there i've put all these in i've already got a formula so it should automatically tell me what that discrepancy <laughs> is what does that look like um, that is $645,163.98. Now that's a 35% difference. The average gender wealth mm. gap at retirement is about 40%. So just by looking at these numbers, I'm pretty on, on point here with what trying to sort of express the importance of having this bill passed today because we can't just ignore the fact that um, we've had a gender pay gap We've got a gender wealth gap. So mm. all there are all these moving parts to this problem. And if we can actually address that, and it's only addressed in for businesses uh, uh, with uh, employing over 100 people, right? I'm hoping to mm. see this actually change culture anyway and that this becomes a norm yes. that we all consider that we should be equally, pay, be equally paid. So that's me on my soapbox. <laughs> with that statistic but dawn there is there is a lot there to be said about how do we fix this gender 
wealth gap when we look at our super and what are the things that women should be considering when how you know mm. so I believe me I'm writing a big long article about this on how governments or industry should be actually helping fix this gender wealth gap and the super the disparity yeah. with super um, values at retirement but in the meantime yeah. before policies can be changed we can be proactive right yeah I think um look women can be proactive, but Amy, we are both very passionate about the fact that it's not women's problem to fix. And I like some of the commentary that you've been posting on social media when they've dangerously had the narrative. I think the one that I've seen more recently was around childcare um, and you being really quite open that uh, childcare is not a woman's issue. It's a family unit issue in terms of how you budget for that and things like that. Um, so if we kind of recognize the fact that this is not women's problem to fix, but because we know everything is so slow to move, unfortunately for women's retirement outcomes, they can't sleepwalk their way to retirement in the same way a man can, because it's not going to be picked up automatically through the system. Right. And it's a, a, a series of events that make it really bad to the point that that's why women are, you know, single women are the fastest growing demographic of people facing homelessness in Australia. So to understand what someone has to do is probably understand the factors that lead to that. The gender pay cap is one of those things. You've mentioned mm -hmm. time off work. So if we mm -hmm. look at the superannuation machine as something you need to feed, you need to feed through the years as early on as you can. It's not a system that works best if you're putting a large sum in just before retirement it works best when you are starting early with really smaller amounts because it compounds so if we think about the very early stages of someone's journey what's the first job they have when they come out what are we telling our daughters about the jobs that they're taking uh, unfortunately jobs are not all seen the same even if it comes down to the amount of training that you have you know generally women uh, do take up more of the administrative roles, roles that are more friendly around school hours for kids, um, but they don't actually get the benefit of a pay that reflects that. Uh, you know, so if you are more in a sales job, target job, a bit, you're able to buy into equity, get bonus, you're going to be able to build your superannuation faster. And again, typically we know those roles are taken up a lot by men, like our industry. Amy, 22% <laughs> of us are women. Um, and, yep. and you've got to start looking very early on with the jobs that women are taking and also the conversation that we're having uh, with our daughters around what the expectation is with parenthood um, is that parenthood is a shared responsibility. It's not something yes. that lays on one parent over the other. Yeah, so the thing is that both parents have the ability to actually take time off together and that, in a way, actually would benefit the family unit rather than one person giving up entirely. Um, so that's that's about looking at those conversations early on with your partner. That is a shared responsibility yeah. with building your family unit. Because if, if she gives up her ability to work, what happens is that it's going to be harder for her to earn that income and drive a super. But we know the rate of divorce is about 50%. So that's the next trigger that comes around. Mm -hmm. um, and what happens then is that if she's trying to rebuild her life from that point, if you don't have a strong income, again, feeding super, feeding your debt repayments, what's going to happen to her then? You know, so she's constantly fighting a catch up race. But also um, there was a report that was sent out about loyalty tax. 
because quite often a new person that's joining a company in the same role gets paid more than an existing <laughs> existing yeah. member of that company who has been there for a very long time. And what do we think about women? Do we think we're more loyal or are we not? <laughs> it's the way of the world is it benefits the hunter and gatherer kind of mentality and the thing mm. like loyalty, caring for others, things like that hold us back financially, doing the free care work, being in caring jobs, you know, being loyal and caring for your company. <laughs> We're not necessarily being uh, benefited for that uh, financially. So the story is complex. There are many reasons as to why this happens, Amy. But I think it That's comes down as well to the systematic bias that women have. Mm. It, it, our roles, the roles that we play within society. Mm. There's one thing I wanted to add. You did point out that I was very vocal recently on a social media post. And um, <laughs> I'm not I apologizing. Love it, <laughs> Thank you. I did see that you did like that. <laughs> um, and I did get a lot of other people liking my comment because I had to be very clear that it was dangerous with what they were saying on this particular mm. podcast about why would it be worth her going back to work when the cost of childcare would basically be eating into her wage. And I'm thinking, that's insane. Is it, isn't it? Is it their income combined together, yes. household yep. income? Because the cost of childcare is calculated based on the household income. So she then wearing the cost of his income as well as her. Like I just sort of went, that just my mind went, well, hang on a minute. This yeah. this shouldn't be, is it worth her going back to work or not? It should be, how are we going to navigate this situation with the cost of childcare as a couple? And as a is couple, there correct. A, yeah. And is there an alternative? And if there isn't, could be could it be that, okay, um, he might be working or she may, might be working, the partner who, who's decided to work extra hours mm. or um, and that they may end up going, okay, we're in a higher tax bracket. Well, then the following financial year, they could actually then make a contribution, a concessional contribution to his spouse while she's been on maternity, on, on leave. You know, these are mm. things that they could be looking at and this is where financial advice can really kick in and help. Because we can actually sit with yeah, the couple and help navigate some of these decisions. No, you're right. You're right, Amy. And and you know some some of it like we talk about strategies and we say we can boost super. Um, we've got strategies to boost super, right? But I think it's mm -hmm. more the fact that we've got a divorce rate of fifty percent. Um, so how are you going to rebuild yourself after that? And also, um, when someone takes a higher mortgage, do they understand the implications if they do break up down the track? Because if if you don't have any equity in your house. What you get, half of nothing is still nothing. So how do you rebuild? Someone with a higher income is going to be able to actually be able to rebuild. If you don't even mm -hmm. have something that's income producing behind your name, you are in trouble. And it's not to yeah. cause panic to anyone. This is the reality of what's there. Even before you say yes to a big mortgage, you know, if something does happen because those stats are there, that's what's happening right now to marriage breakdown you need to be really practical about what's going to happen because half of nothing when you don't have a high income earning power and you may not be able to live somewhere and buy again, um, that is scary, Amy. That, that is super scary. And furthermore, uh, previous research has shown, shown that 
um, men actually get a fatherhood premium in superannuation. So men who are parents effectively earn more and have more going mm-hmm. to super and women mm-hmm. face a motherhood <laughs> tax <laughs> of, this is the well, same household, true. if you think about it. Yes. <laughs> oh, I see it. I mean, you and I see it. I, I always say numbers always tell the story and you open yeah. up a fact find and you can see couples and their decision making and you kind of question it and go oh, I wonder what when you know what's going on here you're thinking this to yourself you're not saying it out loud but I recently came across a couple yep. and she had been self-employed she had been working then they had their kids and she's been self-employed for nearly a decade now they would yeah. be, they were putting their savings into a managed fund and not in any super mm. like not in her superannuation. And I was like, why? And one of the things that came up was they did well first they didn't understand that the fact that superannuation is probably the most tax effective strategies to be investing in. Mm. She was put they you know, all income was coming from their investments were in her name to reduce his personal tax because he was on this nice six figure income. And I'm thinking Okay, mm. but you're still paying tax against that. So why not be contributing half of that back into your super, you know, mm. and getting that tax offset because you're putting it into a vehicle that isn't going to give you a tax offset, that's going to attract capital gains tax and is taxed for any income producing, you know, any income it produces at your marginal tax rate. And there's going to be a point very soon that you're going back to full-time work. So then you'll end up with a mm. bigger tax bill. So, you know, I see these little errors along the way and it's no one's fault. It's this lack of understanding and how superannuation works and how great, great vehicle this can be for us. Um, and especially, as you pointed out, if you were to divorce, because if this couple were going mm. down the way they're going, she's going to have nothing in retirement. But yeah. with the intervention, you know, I've intervened and gone, let's change this up a bit. You're going to end up, yes. cha- you know, we'll contribute for the next 20 years then we're going to tr- commute this over to account-based pension, which is going to give you a tax-free income stream. And that's like, wow, yep. And all those investments being mm. our super, we're going to do an in-specie transfer across so you're not paying capital gains, even though capital gains inside super is 10%. Like all of these little things that make a big mm. difference to your wealth creation journey. Yeah, and, and even the superannuation is about, you know, the time when you get to retirement, which can be longer than what people actually think about of how much funding that's actually needed um like you know i'm back to that point of it starts with everything from day dot that you have your super everything mm-hmm. impacts super you know so mm-hmm. we even asked the question as to why is it that male graduates can be paid more than female graduates when they've just started their in their careers because it already starts at that point the the wage gap starts at that point therefore it starts it impacting superannuation at that point yeah, and and if I think about again this this back to the loyalty tax and the caring mm. tax, right? Because we're loyal mm. and we care. Um, I asked one of these um, a very amazing um, university student doing financial planning. I I said, oh, you're doing a lot of volunteer work at the the school, and she's like, yeah, and and she she had recently given it up. I said, did. The prospective employers actually see that as a plus, the fact that you are a top student and you're doing volunteer work. And she said, nope, actually, in reality, it did not. And she was being looked over and males in her class were not doing the the same level of volunteer work that she was doing. 
So she came up with the realization that she is going to quit that um, after giving her time um, to be able to get into the right place where she's in, in, in paid employment to boost her career. And this is not an uncommon story for any woman in any workplace is that you take on probably a higher workload and you're appreciated less. It, it's, it's research is proven that when a man steps in to help and does anything that's extra, it's actually appreciated more because it's taken that it's a woman's job to actually care, loyal, and do those things. So mm. I would like to have a movement where you're not doing <laughs> free work. <laughs> Get paid for your caringness and your loyalty. That's what I would mm. like to see, Amy. And then your superannuation is going to be boosted appropriately because of that. I love that. I was looking over at my business, so we're looking at where the gaps are in company that we're leaking income, right? Because... And I am the yeah. worst with this, and my husband's always on, you know, on me about this because, and Davina, it does, you know, it's not her fault because I get her to do tasks that aren't income producing, and I'm doing tasks that aren't income producing. Yeah, they're things like they're admin stuff that a client has asked us to do, and we're just going, we're just super kind and going, yeah, yeah, we'll look after that, we'll Correct. look after this, and over and above. <laughs> Well over above the, you know, the initial ongoing fee arrangement, you know, <laughs> just go, it's like, yeah. you know, that we're in the leaking ship and I'm the one who creates that because I go, sure, I'm, I'm going to help yeah. you. I'm gonna yeah. do, you know, I, there are clients that, I don't know if it was you or Ashley when I was in Melbourne talking about this, but there are clients that I just will go, yeah. sure, I'll come out and see you. I drive all the way there. Yeah. I sit down for hours yeah. and I drive all the way back and then I go and do my file notes. And I wasted four hours because I, you know, they'd prefer to yep. sit down in front of me and have these conversations. And yep. the, the amount of actual work, work is just to maybe yep. about 20 minutes. And the rest of it was just all the other fluffy stuff <laughs> that we do. Oh, I, I could do it. And I yep. love doing it though because that's my personality. But it's also something that is, you know, 75% of household work is done by females. You know, we don't get paid for that. Mm -hmm. I never see my husband stand uh, stand while watching his, you know, watching TV or watching his Star Wars, or whatever, folding washing. But yeah. I do it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> no, because it's an expectation on us. I think it's that's that's what I would like. It's also a mindset. Yeah. We yes. And if we say no, we feel horrible about it. But somehow, mm -hmm. you know, I feel maybe men are less apologetic about asking for the pay that they deserve um, and also doing exactly the work that they're being paid for, but they get judged less for that, um, you know, and I somehow we feel like it is a judgment on us, but we also genuinely like to help. But we go back to that point, there's a loyalty tax and there's a tax for caring. <laughs> so, you know, it's... It's undervalued, the caring yes. component. Yep. And I mean... the thing It is, is undervalued. Me sharing that moment of going, particularly, you know, overseeing a client and driving back and the hours yeah. spent, look, that is actually still service. I'm still putting them, like I'm doing a lot of coaching in those conversations, to be honest with you. And as you know, mm. you've had conversations with me. I kind of put my coach hat on and we go, yeah. we walk, we yes. unpack some of the issues they're talking, you know, going through around their relationship with money. But for me, that challenge is how do I value that in a monetary point, next perspective. In If a, mm. it was just a straight out coaching client, 
that's easy because it's a package. There it is. But when it's yeah. financial planning yeah. and I can't help myself but put just, you know, share and, you know, coach and help and give that guidance and education, it's, uh, it's like, well, they're expecting that my role as an advisor is to do X, Y, Z as we put in our ongoing fee arrangement mm. and our FDS, you know. And then there's all this extra stuff yeah. that, that I throw in on top because it's caring, you know, and that's really challenging for me. Yes. I've got to work through that. My money block, I know that. Um, but it is. It's like, okay, because I know also that 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 part of that is very hard to measure. It's more relationships yes. and soft skills. And um, mm-hmm. it's hard to put a value to, except that I find it probably the most yes. valuable part component to what we do in advice. Yeah. You know, and that's that's the thing. I think we all probably struggle with it. Um, I, I know in my career, there was a point where we were doing a comparison of, of, you know, when I was working at the bank and then it became evident that I was charging 20% less than my colleagues. So effectively, I had taken away time for my family, for my personal time to do more work effectively. So yes, it wasn't, there was a gender pay gap issue for sure, because at that point, um, you were impacted if you had maternity leave and generally paid less than than male colleagues. But there was also that, the fact that um, I was undervaluing my own service. Um, and that was, I felt so, I think when I saw those stats and I compared it to my colleagues who looked remarkably more relaxed than me, by the way, I was severely pregnant, <laughs> very pregnant and tired. I just went, are you serious? I, I effectively, you know, you're giving the same product. <laughs> for less, maybe even a better product for less. Um, and that was a sobering thought. But yeah, how do we change that? That That's a hard one. That's a hard one. Uh, because I think it needs to be a movement where we all agree together <laughs> when we go, we're not going to feel guilted into not helping as much. Yeah, or not being as loyal um, as much. You know, because I, I remember coming across a conversation of a female business owner who said that, she was really upset with a staff member who had chosen to leave to go to a bigger company because they were going to offer her, I think, like six months or 12 months maternity leave. Mm. So she was going, oh, what about loyalty? What about all those things? And I just went, surely we shouldn't be shaming somebody for making a monetary decision that is going to benefit, you know? And these, these, these are women talking. This is us talking as women. Please don't shame because anyone else who's making a monetary decision. <laughs> Absolutely. Sorry, I cut you off. We are so deeply programmed. So are men. So this movement you're bringing up, I believe, starts with having these funny conversations. You know, let's let's make this a movement and let's start talking about why am I, you know, why do I feel shame around invoicing for those two hours of my time that helped you unpack your money issues. You know, those are things that I've got to go, mm-hmm. why have I got it such an issue? What's that money block within me? But we've got to look at well, where does this come from? You know, I think we had that conversation last on our last um, episode. Is we've got to look at where we've come from to where we are today. It's like our money story, but it's yeah. our social story. It's our cultural story. It's Correct. all of the subconscious mm-hmm. biases that we've all been, that's all ingrained within us. And as we see mm-hmm. a bill that has been passed today, Kurt, we've got to start going, well, where that's one step forward in the right direction, but there's many steps to go. And we've got to keep forging forward with those steps by 
continuously saying it's not okay that there is a gender wealth gap. It's not okay that childcare should just be on the female, you know, on the mother. It's not okay that um, paid maternity leave does not consider superannuation. Mm. You know, I yes. look at that the conversation, and I'm going to go completely on another um, tangent here, but the conversation around the proposal of the government taxing over $3 million, increasing the superannuation tax from 15% to 30% mm. for those, that's going to affect only 80,000 people, right? Now, if yep. the government really wants to sort of access more tax money as soon as possible, I think they should be really looking at the fact that we have a gender wealth gap and women are being shortchanged when it comes to their superannuation payments and focus more on actual paid maternity leave with superannuation because you're not going to just get 80,000 people now paying 15% tax. Mm. You're going to get half, the, you know, not half the population, not half of us are all having children, but you're going to get a huge run of women over time actually contributing more to their super, which will pay more tax and, they're, you know, it actually will have a, more of an effect than just 80,000 people. And not only that, mm -hmm. When my daughter, my well, my daughter and my stepdaughter, both of them, when they are retiring, my stepdaughter is, is 24. You've met Bella? Or is she 20? Yeah, she's 24. I don't mm. want to age her. I've got to, um, I was going to say 25. She sometimes comes across <laughs> like that. She's 24. And she's got, you know, when she retires, she will have more than $3 million because you've got to look at today's dollars and compound it over time. That I don't mm. want my daughters to be penalised because the whole their whole generation will be if they over they're sitting over three mil. But that's going to be what's required if we understand inflation and we're in a high inflation time now. We should see that that is the way we're going. That's you know the trajectory of investing long term for someone in their early twenties. You know it's we've got to be looking at inflation and returns and ensure that our returns are you know over in you know cpi so i'm always mm. concerned about these policies that are being put forward as well that are going to affect our children um and why won't we look at how we can boost people's super which is still going to pay in, include a tax issue for a, in a positive manner for the government and it's also going to prevent more people from needing government assistance at retirement so that's me on my soapbox because there's all these articles I want to write about this topic. I've been doing a lot of research on this. Yeah. Because it just, you know, and, and trying to create a case study number-wise. Yeah. You see, I, I'm not like, um, I don't think the 3 million, um, the tax on the more than 3 million of, of the funds is something like, is it upsetting me? It's not. Because I think it's just in the scheme of things, there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen because we talked about this with International Women's Day and cracking the code, right? There's a lot of systematic mm -hmm. issues that we have because, yes, we can look at what the gender pay gap is there. That's one aspect, but it's like a tiny aspect. It's a, it's a way forward. Uh, but maybe if we know that there's a loyalty tax that occurs in businesses, um, you know, make sure that you're being proactive and, and really rewarding those staff members who have been loyal, you know, not not actually penalising them for being mm -hmm. loyal, but actually um, doing that. But also, you know, are we going to be looking, redefining how roles are remunerated? Um, if they are carrying roles that are around in, in, in society, we need to be giving that more of a priority um, than what it is right now. 
uh, we're, we're talking about a huge systematic shift that needs to happen, Amy. I think that's when I look at it. I'm like, um, yeah, we need to just be valuing women as a whole. I mean, the superannuation story and the stats that happen now are telling us a story very plainly that women are undervalued. Like we know that we know that women are undervalued, but the way the superannuation gender gap is showing us that is is giving it to you in a monetary sense. So you know, sometimes mm. women are asked to not be ourselves because we are supposed to compete in an environment and negotiate and fight for pay, do all those things that may not be our natural skill set because we want we want to care, we want to serve. Not to say that all women are the same, um, but why mm. can't we just look at the person in front of us and actually appreciate them for their skill set? and not expect them that if they didn't fight hard enough for a pay rise, they're not going to get the pay rise. Mm. Maybe we should be valuing people for the work they're actually putting in. Um, but we know that's not necessarily reality, right? So then what happens next is that we really have to be talking to the young women in our lives, whether they're your friends or your daughters or whoever it is, and they need to understand that they've got a fight on their hands in terms of their mm -hmm. future. And it's not a laughing matter. It's a fact about planning now because the government honestly is not going to intervene enough to change really the outcomes as they are right now, Amy. So even with yeah. my daughter, when she goes, oh, I want to take out money for my piggy bank to pay for something at school, um, you know, she does that somehow and the boys don't. <laughs> my boys don't. My boys are like, no, what's in our piggy bank is staying for us. And I had to tell her, like, please put that money back into your piggy bank. I actually got upset with her, Amy, I, because I said, you need to start valuing the money that you have. You can't be mm -hmm. giving away stuff for free. Um, but, you know, I'm asking her to do something that she finds she's just being a caring person. So <laughs> what's, how do we deal with that, Amy? I think that's the thing. Our caring nature is affecting superannuation. <laughs> that's that's my so conclusion. True. It is affecting <laughs> It is. And if we're seeing that, I think, how do we how do we tackle this? We start having conversations. We start it's storytelling. We start sharing this stuff yep. just by having, you know, I'm, I'm a person that's just uh, very practical and logical with saying numbers tell the story, you know, coming on and just doing a spreadsheet yep. straight up saying there's a 38% or 36% difference if she took five years off work. Having an understanding of, wow, if I now make these decisions early and I'm sitting there with my partner and mm. this is not just, again, a responsibility of our females, our younger females, our daughters, our nieces, you know, yes. granddaughters, this yeah. isn't their responsibility. This is actually a responsibility of our sons, our nephews, our grandsons as well because yes. Yes. this is a collaboration. Yes. You know, what, we're, what the government have basically put forward with this bill is saying that we are equal so men and women should be viewed that way from a financial perspective with their incomes. So we're already mm. acknowledged that we are equal in respect to what we do, that, you know, a female comes into work and she's doing the same amount of work than her male colleague, they should be equally paid. We've got to start creating that same narrative in every other area and aspects of our lives, including this caring piece. This caring piece is something yep. that I think, is uh, you know it's um something that we as kids you know we look at our, i look at my daughter my three-year-old and i look how she plays very differently to how my boys were and they've they've already got this again these internal biases within them already very mm. early on in mm. and it's sitting down and i'm always saying to her um you know that you're capable you're fantastic you're amazing and i'm sort of training that programming on as well um, but we also yes. what so I really want to encourage her intelligence and, and also her kindness 
I want to get her to value those two aspects. Whereas I don't remember, because I mean, there's a 12 year gap between my youngest son and my daughter, having those kind of conversations with the boys. But I look at them and there was no question. They were just, if that's what I wanted, I got, like I was determined to go for it. Correct. You know, there's, there's this competitive nature that I see in the boys that I haven't seen in my daughter. It's really got to be encouraged. It's got to really, you kind of like, have to massage it through if that makes sense. Now, not saying that we're all the, the same, yeah. but I've noticed that. Yeah. I've also, yeah. The book I'm reading um, by Danielle Dobson, who is our keynote speaker at the International Women's Day lunch, is Breaking the Gender Code, and she talks about all these subconscious mm. biases, the hunter, the gatherer, yes. you know, and the, the yeah. roles that we just naturally take up. So how are we going to change that code? I think we've got to have yeah. the awareness first and make our kids aware of it. Well, well, I think business owners, you have a lot of responsibility to maybe think about your own bias and really think about, please don't apply the loyalty tax to good people in your business, but also for people who are looking for jobs, if they're not business owners themselves, is you need to find the right place that actually supports that. Um, because right now, the reality is that you go in, it's not about necessarily what you're worth, in terms of what you're paid, is how well you negotiate. Do you notice that, Amy? It's the negotiation skill is going to set you up pay-wise, not necessarily the work you're going to do. That yes. that is how it works right now. Yes. Yeah. Well, I was, so I, I've said this story a few times, but uh, not so long ago, I was having lunch with somebody who works in an executive level for one of the life insurance com- insurance companies, and we were talking about the, you know pay negotiations, and he. Yeah said he was looking at a spreadsheet and asked why all those people received the pay rise and the rest of them didn't. And it was yeah. simply the answer was because they yeah. asked. We aren't they asked, correct. to ask. I have to say to every single female client when I look at their income protection review, when was the last time yeah. your income was, when did you have an appraisal? When did you have a discussion around your income yeah. and when was the last pay rise you had? Yeah. Now, I'm, we, you know, and then we... Some clients, I don't have to say that because I, I we get that review and I, they've updated, they've told me this is what their pay rise is. Other clients I've come across and gone, hey, we're still on the same level here, you know. it's mm. And it's it's really coming down to um, everyone should be climbing up. You know, when I get my male clients, they update me. Um, should we be increasing my income protection? Should we leave it as it is? All of those kind of questions come up. Yeah, yeah. No, but that's that's the thing. Like, it, that's why I said it's it's so. There's so many things that we deal with, and that the conversation piece that you are talking about is very important. We need to start these conversations young with both, um, you know, with with the boys and the girls. Um, and mm-hmm. if you're in a position that you're able to hire and review pay, I say challenge your own bias, challenge how you're valuing the people that you have in your business, um, and and just see whether that's fair. And if you are someone that, unfortunately, the reality of the world is that negotiation trumps actual skill <laughs> or how well your CV looks. You know, the thing is that you're buying the goods at that point um, and whether or not it's delivered upon, you don't know. Um, and that's why I think there's, there's, you know, when they have all these sessions for women with negotiation and, and how we've got to be, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it because on one hand, that is the way of the world. You know, it's, mm. it's, that's the way we have to be to kind of get ourselves up there. But then we're kind of indicating to women that we have to change ourselves, even though we're willing mm. to put in the work. 
um, you know, so complex, Amy. I would love to say that we could solve it all in this episode. (laughs) I know. I just want to fix everything. Wave a magic wand and make it. I know. I love it. (laughs) It is so complex. Value for everyone. (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. But, you know, you and I know this because of the money mindset coaching is like value is something we've got to start. It's within first. We've got to, we've got to work through what our, yeah. our own yeah. stories are and our own blocks and why we might not be valuing ourselves either. So, you know, there's a lot there. There's so much in this that there's got to be considered, but it is a very complex issue. And I think we've got to stop undervaluing superannuation as a very important financial and wealth creation tool because I think, as you pointed out, Mm. um, John, the sooner the better, the sooner you sort of tackle and um, have a strategy for your superannuation, the better off you're going to be financially long-term. And a lot of people just sort of look at superannuation as for savings and something that just is so far down the road. And I know as an advisor, I'm sure you've had this conversation with clients and they turn up and go, oh, I've just realised I've only got... 15 years it's just all of a sudden it's come around the corner and I've got to get busy and as you pointed out getting busy late I mean yes we've got some fantastic strategies in as advisors to help boost your super in the along the way especially pre-retiring but if you can get it and do those strategies early you're kicking goals in your life you know for sure it's it's the less painful path forward if you start early it's less painful and superannuation is part of a retirement system, an important part of a retirement system. And that's why it's tax less because there's an incentive for you to use it. And if you're not using it, then you're not exploring tax effective strategies around building wealth. Um, and it will kick in at some point um, because statistically, yes, we don't know who's going to live and how long, but statistically we know most of us are going to get to retirement. So <laughs> let's, let's all positively think we're getting that way. And, and make superannuation work for us. Mm. I think on that net wealth white paper, I think the statistic of widows was at the average age was around 50, in their mid-50s. Mm. It's very ah. obvious women, we, we outlive our wow. partners, our male, yeah. We, we yes. outlive men, that's statistically known. But um, there is that average there for widows, which astounded me when I saw that number. I'm like, is that real? Like, my gosh. But then now I'm yeah. in a point with my clients and I'm getting more fit. I'm getting more widows. Um, they step yes. older than the 50, so, but it's still quite staggering when you think about it like that um, on the average, average age for women because that's quite young. So we've really got to be proactive with our numbers. When you think about those statistics um, and we look at the fact mm. that the gender wealth gap is still quite high and that we've got the alarming numbers of female like females facing homelessness most of which are over 55 years old mm-hmm. this gender wealth sorry gender pay gap bill that's come through is quite historical in all honesty because at least something is being done with one facet to the big problem mm. it's measurable now we're going to start mm. measuring it which is the first step yes yes that's true so there's a lot in here and we did warn you we're going to jump on yeah. the soapbox a lot <laughs> One day, Dawn, we're going to do this on a Friday afternoon. And mind you, mind you, it is a Friday afternoon when now that we're now that I've said yeah. that. But one day in the future, we're on the opposite sides of the country. I'd love to sit down and do this with yeah. you face to face. 
the glass of wine and a cheese platter. Oh, no, one of your curries. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime, Amy, so that day will come. <laughs> yes. Luckily, you I are coming to coming, Perth, so that's good. I am. I am coming to Perth. I will be there for the AFA FPA uh, National Roadshow. And I think that Perth date is the 25th of May. So those who are listening from mm. Perth, I will be there in the flesh and I'll get yep. to see you again. Come along. Um, but yes, it's this worth is, it. This is see, problem. Amy, it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, hopefully. I've got to work on my presentation now. It's between two very dry topics, by the way. So okay. um, I was like, oh, that's nice. I'm in the morning just between policies and um, then the future, you know, the future advice or the sort of Shell Levy stuff. Anyway, I'm going great. Um, I'm I'm going to have to get some energy and make the make the event a, a bit more fun and motivating for that. I think 20 minutes that I'm up there talking. <laughs> so I've got a bit of work to do sure. to create some fun content that's uh, engaging. Oh, we'll get there. <laughs> anyway, I've digressed now. Um, so I think. We'll probably best wrap it up now because we've we've covered so much, and I think the next we're going to catch up again. We're going to do a couple more sessions. But what I really want to encourage anyone who's listening is just to start having these conversations. And it's okay to have a healthy debate. It's okay to um, get people thinking. Everyone has their their view and opinion. As I said when I started this rant, the beginning of hitting after I hit record. My husband had a mate who didn't believe that there was such a thing as a gender pay gap and it does exist and the numbers show it does and we really want to see that this all starts to smooth things over and help maybe tighten up that gender wealth gap too. That's that's our hope. It's all all about the conversations. It's all about the conversations. This is why this is the money conversations with Dawn Thomas. So I will love you and leave you. Thank you so much, Dawn, for coming coming on my show again, having these amazing chats with me. Um, I just love your company. So until next time, and thank you all for listening. See you guys soon. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share the love, like, and share all posts. Social links are in the show notes below. Please note that any information shared in this podcast is general in nature and not to be perceived as financial advice. Please seek advice from a licensed financial advisor just like me. We also want to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Aurora Nation as the traditional custodians of this country we record this podcast in. We recognize their continuing connection to the land and waters and thank them for protecting this coastline and its ecosystems since time immemorial. Thank you.